Are you jazzed? I'm jazzed. I'm like really excited. I'm the only one who's excited. I am really excited. This is awesome. Today we're going we're gonna to learn some great stuff that's going to blow you away. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. We were thinking about you. We're going to have it on the screen. And let's pray. I'm so glad to be home. I love you guys. I love you guys. I really, I, I hope to give my life to serve you guys. And just, I love you and I love how you're growing. And there's no other church I would want to be. Um, than right here growing with you. So let's pray. Father, you have given us all things. From the shirt that I wear to the shoes on my feet, you've given us all things. And we thank you for your generosity. Lord, I know that right now, there are couples here who walked in on an argument. I mean, just were so angry with each other. And I know that there are some families whose children are just behaving in ways that are heart-wrenching. Lord, be with those mothers. Be with those fathers. Father, there are children here whose parents are just fools and hurting their children, exposing them to things that they should not and ought not do. Father, protect those children. Lord, there are people here who are considering some sin that they might do directly after this service. Lord, would you give them something in the service to cause them to pause? Lord, would you help them to to really reflect? Father, I, I ask that you would, in a very powerful way, touch every one of our hearts, move in every life, Move in this place in such a powerful way that no one would leave here the same. That every mind, every emotion, every heart, every desire, every will, every action would be taken captive by the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus would have dominion and power over our desires, wills, actions, and motives. That you would be glorified. That your name would be lifted high. And that you would be celebrated Father, let nobody leave here without knowing Jesus as Lord, as Savior. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You open up in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. Before we get there, when I was a, when I was a kid, I, um, anybody remember WHT? That was cable before cable was... Like, the cable that you know now wasn't the cable that we had, right? You had two extra cable channels. Do you remember what they were? HBO and WHT. Who here actually paid for WHT? Suckers. Nobody's paid for WHT. Because you waited for your neighbor to get WHT, and then you just hooked up your antenna to his antenna. You get the wire, right? Am I the only one? My family was the only one? No, no, right. So that's what we did. So we got WHT, and we got it, you know, plugged into the antenna, and it went out, and so we got free movies and all that silly stuff. And then you can, you know, before VCRs, you know, you could actually watch movies that weren't in the uh, the movie theater. Now we got, you know... Gosh, you get them digitally downloaded now, but I'm just telling you when I was a kid, right? And so, and some of you are like, W what? Like some of you young people. I understand. Stick along. It'll, it'll make sense later on. And so, um, so we got WHT now at the, at about 11 o'clock at night. Anybody remember what used to happen to WHT at 11 o'clock at night? It was like, yeah, yeah. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. There was like really bad stuff. Really, really bad stuff would come on WHT, right? Graphic, terrible, awful stuff, right? So one time, um, I was, uh, at, and this is like, you know, this is like the source, not the source, but this is like a, a lot of beginnings of a lot of the woes. That's why I tell people, don't watch pornography. It'll hurt you. Don't do it. So I, I would watch this bad stuff. Well, one night, my father, shockingly, my father would leave the house, and not shockingly, predictably, my father would leave the house at nine o'clock, and then he would, he would come back at like, I mean, he would work all night long, and then he would come back at, I don't know, 10 in the morning, like that, you know, because he, you know, he had one of those jobs. He was a truck driver, so he had to, you know, he, had, he did all that stuff. Well, what happened was, is that for some reason, I still don't know the answer, at somewhere around 12.36, how do I know the time? It scarred me for life. Somewhere around 12.36, I'm watching 
something other than Bambi, right? Oh, it was actually Bambi, but not the Bambi with the little deer and all that other stuff. So it's like really bad stuff, right? And so I'm watching this stuff, and guess who walks through the door? My pop. I wanted to die. Like I wanted to commit suicide. They had to put me on suicide watch. Like I wanted to die. Now that was very, very bad, right? Everybody identify, right? Some of you guys totally identify, right? You're in your rooms, you know, wow, I didn't know mom was going to come in there, right? It's just like really bad, very embarrassing, terrible, right? Here's the thing. As I went around my family months later, my aunts and then my cousins and everybody just sort of got to know me as the perverted kid who was watching the dirty movies, and now I was only like seven or eight years old, right? But that was like, the whole family, they, if there was a joke, guaranteed, it had Edwin and WHT somewhere in the joke, right? It's just a really, tip. but it, 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 it marked me. It totally marked me. I remember walking around with a deep sense of shame. Now I was young, I was stupid, I was, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of things, you know. <clears throat> you know, you could, you could make a bunch of arguments like, you know, hey dad, how's about not stealing cable? Oh, by the way, if you're going to steal cable, could you figure out a way to shut off the TV or unplug the cable so that your, you know, kids who are just, you know, because it's not like I, it's not like a seven years old, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to see if I can watch some, you know, pornography. At, you know, you're seven years old, you're watching, you stay up late, and you, and you run across some stuff, right? And, and, and it kind of messes with you. Well, this is, we're not talking about, we're not, well, actually, we are kind of. But there are things, I wonder, I wonder if I'm the only one who's looked like a fool like that. I wonder if I'm the only one who's ever had a shameful moment that you just wish did not happen. I wonder if I'm the only one who ever got caught doing something that they wish they hadn't been caught doing. I, I, I bet... I bet if you had the opportunity to stand up here and share your story, we would be laughing just as much at you as you were at me, right? You would be able to, like some of you would be able to say, right, my cousin came over and we thought for sure that everybody went out to play softball and then, you know, we started to experiment and, oh, somebody came in and, oh, weren't we embarrassed? You know, we ran and hid. Yeah. Some of you would have a very similar story to the one that I had, right? You know, some of you... Some of you, it would have nothing to do with that. Some of you, you just got caught in a lie. And you just felt very filled with shame. You just, you know, you were, you know, it was an untruth. Someone came in with the truth. Some other person verified it. And you were just ashamed. Felt guilty. Now, that is a universal, this is something that I know about everyone sitting in this room. We're all hiding something that we don't want anyone else to know. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to confess that to your neighbor. No, I'm kidding. Could you imagine if I did that? <laughs> no. <laughs> you should have seen your faces. <laughs> they were like, no, that's my wife. I ain't telling her nothing. Shoot me. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, but that was my goof on you. But no, seriously. Um, but all right, here's what I do want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, you got something to hide. Yeah. You sure do? Y'all got something to hide. Everyone, and some of y'all, so, so everyone's got at least one bone in the closet, and some of us got graveyards, but we all got stuff. Now listen, here's the rub, here's the rub. The question isn't, so when I'm talking, I don't want you to get distracted by my things that cause me shame and cause me guilt. I don't want you to get distracted about what was done to you that causes someone else's shame and someone else's guilt. I don't want you to get distracted about the friend at work who should really hear this because, boy, this message is really for them overcoming shame. I want you to think about the person sitting in your seat, the person wearing your clothes, and the shame that you try to deal with. Now, there are several ways that we try to convince ourselves that we're not guilty and that we're not full of shame. And these ways often serve to hurt us more. One way to act like the shame thing doesn't exist is just 
is just relativism. Relativism is a philosophy that says that, you know what, I am simply going to believe that it does not exist. It wasn't so bad. We'll say, no, no, no. And so this comes, this comes a lot from uh, uh, different philosophies and different religions. Many of which, some of, some of you feel, uh, are, are connected to in one way or another. You know what I mean? You'll hear people say, well, the truth was true for you. Here's, here's that part of that philosophy. What's true for you is true for you. But it's not true for me. Now that's called relativism. That means that truth doesn't stand on its own. That means that truth is subjective. That means that it's, you know, it might be wrong for you to steal from your mother, but it's not wrong for me to steal from my mother. You know, my mother was bad to me and, you know, I have excuses and I have reasons and whatever, right? It might be wrong for you to punch that person in the face, but it's not wrong for me to punch that person in the face. Now, what's very interesting about when we do something wrong is that we have absolutely no, like, you know, right? Isn't it true if someone's inconsiderate to you? You're like, oh my gosh, that's just the way you were raised. Must have been the way you were raised, boy. It's like, you know, look at how bad you are and look at all you do. But when we do something, we go like this, well, I was under pressure. You know, I had a lot of tension at work. You should understand. I told you that I was going through this, you know, this part of my life. You should understand more. Like, right, right. We, we make total excuses. Am I the only one? Right? We make total excuses for ourselves. We make almost no excuse for everyone else. And one of the excuses we make for ourselves is this thing called relativism. And we say, it just doesn't exist. It's not bad. Now, there's this great quote by Har- Harper Lee um, in the book, To Kill a Mockingbird. And it says this, the one thing that doesn't abide by majority rule is a person's conscience. Isn't that good? You can have 50. And this is why. Listen to me. This is why. This is why Oprah will not work for you. This is why Eastern philosophies will not work for you. When, when you, listen to me, listen to me. When you come around and just, and a hundred people could go, you're not that bad. You're not that bad. When people come up to you, I remember my mother was going through, uh, you know, this hospitalization, right? And I had burnt out. I mean, I had burnt out. And you ever get to the point, it's a unique thing when you have sick parents. It's a very unique, I mean, sometimes you're on a super high because they're getting better and everything's going good and now you're interacting, especially if that parent has, you know, emotional or psychological issues. You know, you're just like, yay, things are going well and all that other stuff. And when they tank, you tank. Like, it's tough. And I remember for like four months, I was going to visit her in the hospital. I mean, every morning, I had to go there before six o'clock in the morning. Otherwise, they wouldn't let, you know, because the guy who was there on the shift before six o'clock in the morning didn't care. He would just let me upstairs. The guy at six o'clock in the morning cared. Right. And so I would have to get there before six o'clock in the morning, go upstairs. And I'm talking about raving mad lunacy. Like just you're just I'm just talking and I'm just I'm talking to a person who is no longer. You are no longer talking to your mom. You were. And there was at least three times where I went. I just exploded. I wonder if any of you have ever had an experience. You know, you're just talking crazy. You're just, you're not in your right mind. What are you, just take your darn medicine. Just really, just explosive. And then someone would come up to me and say something like this. You know, Edwin, you're such a good son. You know, you call her up, you visit. I would just, and in my soul, I would say, no, please don't say that. Don't say that. Why? Because it doesn't matter how many hundreds of people come up to you. And tell you, you're a good person. You're a good person. Oh, it wasn't that bad. You were just a kid. Or whatever excuse they give you, you walk around with that guilt and shame. Even if we try to take it away, the guilt and shame, it doesn't go away by trying to imagine that it doesn't exist. There's another way that we try to get rid of guilt and shame. Uh, The other way that we try to get get rid of guilt and shame is um, the performance payment plan. Some of you are on the performance payment plan. And the performance payment plan is when you and I go, well, I've done such bad stuff. And we think, watch this, we think that this is Christianity. This is not Christianity. This would be religion. 
And we're, what's the name of this series? Breaking Free from Religion. We don't, we don't want anything to do with religion. We want everything to do with Jesus. We want Him to be lifted high. Just before I go any further, our whole objective is to lift up the name of Jesus. Give Him glory. That He, for His glory in our place. Watch this, here's the good news. God gets the glory, we get the pleasure. Not a bad deal, right? We lift up the name of God, God gets glorified, we get satisfied. It's just a wonderful, well, so that's our objective. But the, the performance payment plan, and the performance payment plan says, I know what I'm going to do. And this is the mindset. And you don't, maybe you don't think like this, but this is kind of the illustration that I'll use. It's like um, scales, like the old-fashioned scales. Do you remember the old-fashioned scales? You ever seen them? Where it's like, you know, there's a, like a fulcrum, and then it balances these two things, and they generally balance each other out. And then what happens is, is you put weight on one side, and it sinks, and the other part rises. And, and so, you go, so you go, wow, there's weight on this negative side. Whoa, I done bad, right? I've I, I done things that I can't tell my spouse. I've done things that I can't share with my kids. I've done things that I have to sort of dance around, skate around with mom. Wow. I know what I'll do. I'll do good things. And then if I do enough good things, the good things that I do will outweigh the bad things that I do. Yeah. And this is the performance payment plan. Here's the problem with that. A hundred good deeds never erase one wrong action. A thousand good deeds never erase one wrong action. It just doesn't. If you're a slave trader, and uh, if you're, there's a, you know, there's a, and actually the illustration just came to me. I wish I would have thought of this sooner because we could have put the video up. Um, and anybody ever saw this movie, uh, uh, Schindler's List? Okay, it's a great movie, right? It has some racy parts, so watch the, the, the television version of it. But, um, you know, but, but in general, it's an excellent movie. But the, 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 problem, the only problem that I have with the movie, and by the way, it's an excellent movie. Uh, you know, don't, don't hear me say I don't like creativity. Don't hear me say I don't like cinema. It's a beautiful, awesome movie. The only problem was, is that at the end of the movie, actually, it's not a problem, it's, it's, it's the truth. The, the man, Schindler, the, the, the one who was, you know, Schindler's, you know, who was saving the Jewish people, you know, and getting them into the factory and, you know. At the end, do you remember what happened? He goes, this watch, this watch could have paid for six more. This car, this car would have bought me ten more. This ring, I know I could have gotten twelve more for this ring. And it'll be like that for the rest of your life. No matter how many thousands of Jews he saved, there was always one more, one more. And those, because what had scarred him was that little girl. Do you remember that? And, and the whole movie was black and white with the exception of that one little girl. She was the, in full color, which I thought was powerful. And, and you see that and you go, I think that's what I do. Like, it doesn't matter how kind I am to my wife. I remember, you know, those whispers tell me that time that I flew off the handle, that I went outside the relationship, or that I, you know, watched and I hurt her so bad and I said those words and, and he didn't deserve that kind of, you know. And so no matter how many times we get on the performance payment plan, there's always one more ring that we could have given away, one more watch that we could have sold, one more car that we could have traded for something more to pay for the things that we've done. Some of you parents do this with your children. Now, this is not where we're going today, but I just want to kind of connect it. If you, if you, especially if you're part of a divorce, it's not even something, you know, it might have been something that was done to you, right? It was your husband, it was your wife that went outside the relationship. They wanted the divorce. And you know what happened? You felt such guilt and shame. You felt so terrible for the children. What did you do? You try to buy. You try to buy their happiness. And so you never tell them no. And you, ne and, and you never tell them no to the degree that they live such lives that now you're, 
you feel guilty for giving them all. You, know, you see how shame just kind of perpetuates itself? You mean, man, I feel guilty because the relationship, you know, dissolved. And so I know I'll buy them happiness. And then by trying to buy them happiness, they get this sort of entitlement philosophy of life. And, and, and you know, they're whether in jail or in an institution or addicted to drugs or something. You, you understand what I'm saying? And they're, they're there and you're like, man, I wish. And then it just, I wish I hadn't entitled them. And I wish I, now I feel such shame. Because I, I, I blame myself for the position that they're in. And oh man, we can kind of go on and on, couldn't we? Shame cannot be made to go away by imagining it away, acting like it doesn't exist. And shame cannot go away by becoming on the performance payment plan. No matter how much we try to convince ourselves, shame will not go away. There's going to be a video that we're going to play right now to illustrate this. It, anybody here remember a TV show? They took it off the air because it was just ridiculous. I mean, it was over the top controversial. It was, anybody remember this? The Moment of Truth. It's like a year or two ago. It was like on for one season. I was riveted. Now watch this. It was a 45 minute show and the whole point, the whole objective of the show was to ask you questions, and all you had to do was tell the truth. You took a polygraph test. They asked you terrible... Now, watch this. Now, watch this. Some of you think that the problem with the show was that you had to tell the truth. No, that's just the result. The problem was the, the, the lies that people live, that they can't tell. Right? That's the problem. Right? The, the problem isn't that you got caught. The problem is that you broke the law. Right? That makes sense, right? Well, this woman... They, I, we got a, a, a whole 35-minute, 40-minute show that honestly would have given you a heart attack. If you saw I got anxiety attacks watching it, honestly. We got it condensed to like three minutes. But they would like, you know, he would ask a question. Uh, would you ever steal from your job? And then it would be the music. Dun, dun, dun. And then you would wait, and then you would see her. And, and sitting right next to her is her mother, her father, her sister, and her husband. Keep that in mind as she's answering those questions. And this, this video is going to blow you away. Check out this video. It's absolutely fascinating. Father. Mother. Sister. Brothers. As an employee of a hair salon, have you ever told a customer you liked their hairstyle when in fact you didn't? I have never. True. Have you ever flashed a stranger just for laughs? Yes. True. Would you give food to a stray dog before you would give it to a homeless person? Yes. True. Have you ever derived pleasure when one of your siblings has gotten into trouble? Yes, I have. True. Have you ever been fired from a job for stealing money? Yes. True. Your husband is a police officer. If you knew you wouldn't get caught, would you steal money from your place of employment? No, I would not. True. Since you've been married, have you ever pretended to be asleep in order to avoid having sex with your husband, Frank? Yes. answer. Pretended to be asleep, pretended to have a headache, so yes. True. Do you blame your husband for your lack of close friends? Yes, I do. True. Would you ever be a surrogate mother for your sister if she were unable to have children? Yes, I would be. True. Do you think your parents are proud of you? No, I don't think my parents are proud of me. True. I love... Do you know things about your father that you keep secret from your mother? Yes, I do. True. You have $25,000. You want to continue? I am really not concerned about the money. I just okay. I feel a lot better getting this everything I need to get off my chest. So. Do pause you secretly... Pause it. Okay. Are you feeling the tension of this? This is insane. Now watch this. Watch this. Everybody struggles with guilt and shame. I want you to check this out because the next few questions are going to blow you away. Honestly, you might want to leave. You might want to leave. If you want to stand, it's okay. I might. Because I was running in place. I was like, oh my gosh. And I saw this thing for like a half hour. I saw the whole show. It killed me. I couldn't believe it. But I just wanted to give us a little pause. You never thought that church could be so entertaining, did you? This is great. Now, remember, we're going to go back into the scriptures because we're going to find out what God has to say about shame and guilt. Go ahead, Liz. Stay in touch with any boyfriends that your husband does not know about. No. True. Have you ever taken off your wedding ring to appear as if you were single? Yes, I have. True. Dude, 
in place now. Do you believe you might have been in love with a former boyfriend on your wedding day? Yes, I believe I was. True. One more question gets you $100,000. Surprise guest. Oh. This is your ex-boyfriend, Frank. Mind you. If I wanted to get back together with you, would you leave your husband? You could avoid this right now by hitting the button, Frank. Yeah. No? I don't think anyone would want to hear that answer. Do you believe I'm the man you should be married to? Say yes. True. There's really nothing else I can really hear, so might as well just go for it. Go! I'm going to keep on going. Since you've been married, have you ever had sexual relations with someone other than your husband? Yes. True. Do you think you're a good person? Honestly, I think I am a good person. False. thinks they're a good person. But listen, you cannot convince your conscience. Everybody. If I'd have asked you today, and I went up to you and I said, are you a good person? You go, yeah, well, yeah, I am. Listen, listen. Majority rule is something that the conscience does not abide by. You and I struggle with shame. Right now, you struggle with things that you've done, have been done. Some of the stuff that you struggle with was stuff that was done to you. And it's, it marked you with shame. I want you to hear these words. And Paul gives an illustration of this shame. The Bible speaks to this issue of shame. The Bible speaks to this very thing. And it speaks to it to such a degree that brings us to the point where we don't get on the payment plan, the performance payment plan, to deal with our guilt and shame. Because that will never work. And we don't, listen, and we don't, and we don't imagine that what we did wasn't really bad. But the Bible teaches us some stuff that just is going to, Blow you away. Um, and some of this, when we read this, you're going to go, huh? What? I'm going to read it, and we're going to go uh, through it pretty quickly. Um, uh, now, okay, real fast, look up at me. Okay, we're in a series. The series is called Rescue Me, um, Freedom, uh, Rescue Me from Religion. And that means what we've been doing is a book of Galatians. From chapter 1 to the last chapter. We're now in chapter 4. So there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff that if you haven't read in Galatians or you haven't been here, you're going to miss out. But I'm going to try to give you a thing. But what's going on is that you have a, a gentleman by the name, or an apostle by the name of Paul. Paul is writing to the Galatians. Galatians are the people who live in Galatia. Haha, <laughs> right? Like, you know, the Puerto Ricans are the people who live in Brooklyn. Right. And so, and so, right. So, so there you go. So, um, the thing is, is that Paul is writing to these Galatians and he's telling them, and he's telling them about the church. Now, what he did was he preached Christ. And this is, this is what preaching Christ is. Some of you, this is going to blow you away. It's, watch this. And, and the answer is gospel. Watch this. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It equals the gospel. It equals sanctification. That means you grew up thinking Jesus plus religious services equal the gospel. Jesus plus sacraments equal the gospel. Jesus plus religious activities equal the gospel. Jesus plus being really good equal being saved. That's myself. Jesus plus something else. I could be happy if I just had Jesus plus and Paul said, no, 10,000 times no. I taught you better than that. It was Jesus plus nothing. So he leaves that church to plant other churches. And what happens is, is that some other very religious people come in. And they go, oh, Jesus is fine. But, you know, you, gotta, you got some stuff to add to that. We've been doing this for a long time. You got to add to that. Jesus plus nothing. Equals the gospel. Equals salvation. Equals your joy and mine. So that's Paul. Is that his big message? He was there. That's who he's talking to. But they're being steered away from him. To become, watch this, back in bondage to religion. Can you imagine? This is the great freedom that was being proclaimed. That Jesus paid it all. 
That you don't owe a thing if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you can be free. I mean, really, really free. And they want to go back to rules. You know, make sure you make your meetings. Make sure you do your work. Make sure you... Nothing wrong with meetings. Nothing wrong with work. Nothing wrong. But they don't fulfill us. They don't. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, you who want to go back to religion, you who want to go back to rules, tell me, talk to me. Are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. Now look up, look up at me. What you just, what you, we just read right now was a, it was, a, it was like, a, like a, an encapsulation, an encapsulation of, of what happened in Genesis. Abraham, He's the father of those who believe. Abraham, God poked on the shoulder, not quite, but you know, figuratively speaking, poked on the shoulder and said, Abraham, I want you to go, I want, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start through you a people that I'm going to uh, love and, 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 and care for and take care of, right? God's people, right? And Abraham, miraculously, and we don't have time to go into it, actually said, okay, I'll go. God did it. God put the desire in his heart. God gave him the willingness. God gave him the strength to do it. That's what happened. God did it all. God did it all. Abraham never takes credit for it. God takes credit for all the work. Just like in your life, you don't do it. God does it. You don't take the credit. God, remember, he gets the credit. You get the pleasure. He gets the glory. You get the joy. Get it? Okay. So, so Abraham, now what, here's the thing. Abraham went up to God and said, God, how can you, how can you, Get this nation, this big family. And by the way, nation is just a word that we translate family. Because Abraham had no, there was no concepts of nations. There were concepts of clans, families. But back then, they had no concepts. So the word that we translate nation is like big family. It's like, you know, gosh, we don't have a, God didn't have a a word that he could use that Abraham would understand. So he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a part of a really, really big family. Isn't that just a cool, okay. So, um, so is it, I'm going to make you part of this really big family. What happens? So, Abraham goes, here's the problem. My wife couldn't have kids when she was young. And she ain't young anymore. And I'm no spring chicken neither. And so how on earth are you going to get us these kids? God says, I'm going to do it, Abraham. I promise I'm going to do it. And Abraham, he goes, he believed the promise and God counted him as righteousness. And so he goes, and he just, now after a while, you have to understand the culture. In America, this is a totally foreign culture to the one we're talking about. In America, or in China, or in most places in the world, if I say I got four kids, people look at me with big eyes. They go, four kids? What, you got no TV? Like, you know, it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's that kind of response that I get. Because to say that you have more than three kids, even three kids nowadays is a lot. But most, but people don't see children. The Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. And so we really believe the Bible. And so, yeah, let's have some kids, man. Let's, you know, we got three beautiful girls. We got one beautiful boy. By the way, my daughter, my oldest daughter just got, just got braces. If you say anything other, and kind, encouraging words to her, I will punch you in the face. Okay? You will say encouraging, kind words to her when you see any kid in here. And you, but it's a boy. Yeah, just imagine it's Edwin's daughter and say kind, encouraging thing. You look so pretty. Uh, and if it's a boy, edit that to sound a little bit better. But, but I got four kids. And it's a blessing. The Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. And in that day, it was a shame, like a real shame. Like, you know, like if you got caught watching WHT or if you got caught in the room or if you got caught. It was like a shame that came over you. People would look at you and say, God must not love you. You must be cursed by God. Because you got to understand, there was not a system like we have today. In other words, if your kids, if you don't have kids, someone else gets your property. If you don't have kids, someone else is going to take care of your wife. If you don't have kids, when you get old, who's going to take care of you? And so it was, it was a very, you know, so, but they had no kids. And so now Abraham is like almost, he's, he's about a hundred years old at this point. 
It's like 100 years old. And I just, I was listening to a talk of people around the world. They try to segment people. And there, there was this, I remember this one small group of women. And the average age was 102. Right now, today. Like the average age is this, you know, that they, they live to be 113. This is, we got uh, a group of people in California who live like this. And a group of people, it's pretty wild. But the point that I'm trying to make is that Abraham was 100. He was like, okay, if, if you're 100 years old, you're not going, hey, Phyllis. You're feeling frisky tonight, right? You're a hundred years old, right? Nothing works at a hundred years old. Your eyes don't work. You, you know, nothing works. We can all imagine, right? Okay. And so, none of that Phyllis stuff, right? And poor Sarah, she couldn't have kids when she was 20-something. Now she's like 89, 90-something. Okay, no, no, nobody's going to have any kids. So God comes, God comes and says, Abraham, I'm going I'm to take away your shame. I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to take away the thing that you feel so embarrassed about. And Abraham does something that's extraordinary. He goes, okay, God, I'll do it. He goes, okay, thanks, God, I'll do it. And so his wife comes by. I'm just trying to tell you the story because, man, we got almost no time. This is why church should be five hours long. You guys should give me more time to preach this stuff. This is good stuff. Now watch this. If you're feeling tired, just go ahead. Matter of fact, let's everybody stand up because you've been sitting down for a long time. So watch this. Stand up. Stand up. Go ahead. All right, stretch your legs. Go ahead. Reach up to heaven like you love Jesus. Oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. Do it again. Oh, my goodness. Now stay there. Now watch this. So now what happens? Watch, watch, Watch what happens. Look at this. Sarah comes by. She comes to Abraham and says, I know that God promised it, but if God promised it to you, we listen, I'll help you with God's promise. Let's help God do what he promised to do to you. I, are, you is, are they the only ones who do that? Like, right? God says, don't worry, I'll get you a husband. You go, but let me help. Come upstairs for coffee and then leave for breakfast, right? And so... And so that's what happens. She goes, she has a better idea. Stay standing. And so she says, I know it, it was legal. Watch this. This is the very spiritual crowd. So I'm going to talk to them. What they said, what she said, it was legal that um, her servant, Hagar, could have a kid. She was a young, pretty girl. She, Abraham. And you know, Abraham loved this plan. And so she goes and she goes, she goes, Abraham, I got an idea. He's like, hmm, I don't know. Doesn't say. Yeah, right. And so and so. She goes, I'll give you Hagar. When I give you Hagar, you'll be with her. She'll produce a child. She'll produce the child on my lap, symbolically meaning that the child came from me. It'll be my kid. Hagar, Abraham, everybody says, great idea. Because the way to get rid of shame is to get on the performance payment plan. The way to get rid of shame is to do your best and ask God to do the rest. The way to get, the way to get out of shame is to believe that God is going to do some miraculous thing and then figure you're going to go and help him. Yeah, hey, listen, I got an idea. If you got to move a mountain, bring a shovel. How's about this? If you bring a shovel to move a mountain, you're going to be moving. You won't move nothing. You'll break your back first. Because when it comes to miracles, and I'm talking about little stuff, like if you got to fix your car, bring your shovel. If you got to dig out of the snow, bring your shovel. But if you got a miracle, and Jesus has promised you a miracle, if you don't wait on Jesus, nothing is going to happen. And so they got a better plan than Jesus. Sit down. And when they did, they had the kid. Quick thing happens. I'm just trying to give you that little two sentences is so loaded. Go back to Genesis around 15 and read the um, read this story. It's absolutely, you should read your Bibles. You thought that's only happened in soap operas. This is fantastic. Read your Bible. And so, so Abraham has this kid. What happens? Hagar, the slave woman, starts feeling haughty because she's had Sarah's man. And Probably, you know, right? Mm-hmm-hmm. Right? She's a little younger than 90. And so, you know, you know, what I want, you got, you know, that kind of thing, right? And so what happens? Well, Sarah starts feeling bad. Because when you go, hmm and you're 90 years old, you don't got a whole lot, you know, you got, well, it's going to, but it's more like, hmm, hmm. It's not hmm, anymore. And so... We really are going to edit most of this sermon. It's only going to be a 15-minute sermon by the time it gets to the podcast. And so, so what happens is, what happens is, this is, this is very important. I know we're being funny, but there's a very serious point. She gets sent away. The, the slave woman gets sent away. And, and, and let me just read you the rest of the story, because this is just so good. I'm going ahead of myself. Okay. 
These things, all right, now Paul says this, these things may be taken figuratively. Now watch this, look up at me. Paul does not mean, just so we can understand, Paul does not mean that this event did not happen and we're going to take it like an allegory. And we're going to take it just like a story. No, Paul is saying these things happened, but they can also be taken symbolically, right? And so that's, that's what Paul is saying. So I don't want you to go into the point where, oh, you see Paul? He says, oh, look, take it allegorically. That's the way we say it. Some preachers preach like that. And it's almost not worth hearing their messages. Because it has nothing to do with the Bible text. It has everything to do with whatever they want to say. You know? And so, like, you know, the donkey walked Jesus into <clears throat> Jerusalem and, and, you know, or, or where, you know, and they were throwing palms and all that other stuff. And then, you know, they say, well, and, and the donkey is you and me. And, and Jesus gets the, can Jesus ride on top of you and him get the glory as you go forward? And it's like, it's, it has nothing to do with the story. It has nothing to do with the story. But they just, you know, they allegorize everything. And it's just, that, that preaching's not worth listening to. But, 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 but Paul says, this really did happen. And we can take it as a sort of a allegorical. Okay. Um, this, these things can be taken figuratively. For the woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Hagar was the slave woman who had a kid. And and Paul says, Hagar stands for the religious folks. That's why he says the slave woman who was in Jerusalem, those people who are bound by rules and rituals and, you know, oh, God doesn't love you. Did you not stand up, sit down? Did you not bend down? Did you not do this? Did you not, like, right? You have to go through your rituals, right? Did you, did you not light this? Did you not turn off that? Did you not pray to this thing and that thing? And did you not do this? Like, like if you don't do these things, you will not be right with God. Hagar, they're slaves and they would like nothing more than to enslave those of us who are free in Christ. So there's a kind of, a typology, a type of religious people. We'll call them Hagar. Hagar are the people who say, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to pick and choose of what I'm going to believe about God, and I'm just going to do the things that I like. Religious people. Hagar are also the people who go, I'm going to do everything in the Bible, and if I don't do one thing in the Bible, God doesn't love me. Hagar. You know, Hagar are the people who think that they won't get better unless they, you know, work and, and do writing and do all this. Oh, well, I'm better than you because, oh, you haven't rolled. What? You're on your what step? You know, and, and what? Yeah, Hagar, 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 Hagar. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who, have, uh, who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for the Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of, than of her who has a husband. Remember, what was Abraham and Sarah's shame? Abraham and Sarah's shame was that they couldn't have any children. And so let me tell you the rest of the story. What happened was, is that they had Hagar. Hagar was, you know, she was like, well, I had your man and blah, blah, blah. And so what happens? God comes again. And even though they blew it again, God says, I told you I was going to do this. And it doesn't depend on you being a good little girl or a good little boy. It depends on me being a great big old God. And so God, at a really ripe age, like when nobody could go, well, in vitro or something, you know, at a really, really old age, when nothing was happening, Isaac, Abraham, Gets with Sarah, and they have. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Could you imagine walking into the room and being the doctor and going to the young lady and going, okay, you're ready? I said, no, 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 that wrinkled lady over there. No way. Because God said, he, was, he God removed their shame. And in life, listen to me, you have two options for your shame. You can either help God do what he said he was going to do, or you can have God do it for you. 
choose Jesus. And so then Paul quotes from Isaiah, and he says, oh, by the way, so the, you know, the, uh, the woman who's barren has more kids than the woman who's very, very fruitful. What does he say? He's saying within the context that we're talking about shame and, and, and having that oppression over you, he's saying, listen, more freedom, more joy can the person who rests in Christ because they rested in his work on the cross. You don't deserve, I love when people come up to me and say, but I feel like I don't deserve to go to church or don't deserve to have a relationship with God. And I go, finally, you're getting it. Of course you don't deserve it. Of course you don't deserve it. Of course I don't deserve it. We're messes. I mean, do you know what you did last month? Do you remember what you did last year when you were eight? Do you not remember those experiments? Of course you don't deserve it. God comes in and says, I'll give you what you don't deserve. I'll give you what you ill deserve. Not only non-deserving, but ill-deserving. But there's always that whisper of Satan. And there's always that whisper of religious people. You mean you're not dressing this way? You're not talking this way? You're not acting this way? You didn't come to the Wednesday meeting? You didn't, you didn't come to small groups? You didn't do that? There's always that desire for religious people who are in slavery with Haggard to want to incorporate, want to recruit more religious people. It's death. It's not Jesus. It's not salvation. It's not joy. It's not celebration. It's not freedom. It's death and slavery. And there will always be a little thing whispering in your ear. What have you done? What have you done reminding you of your past? What have you done Reminding you of those things that you can't forget. Oh, I believe that God forgives me. I just can't forgive me. Then you're God. Because, listen to me. Think about this. Think about this. If you believe your opinion more than God's, who is higher here? At least in your mind. It would be you. God says, it's the freedom that I've come to set you free. It's in Christ. And it's not a license to live sinfully so you could scour and mess with your conscience. It's not a a license for you to live licentiously. It's a freedom for you to live free. There's a There's a whisper in the back of your head. I know. It's like, remember that movie, Um, Lion King? And and Simba's dad just died because Simba was playing where he shouldn't have played and all that. And then his father comes and actually saves Simba. Do you remember that? Watch this. to do is cripple the little one. So what does he do? What have you done? And over and over, as you walk in Christ, Satan more and more will want to say, whisper, what have you done? You know you weren't a good kid. You know your parents deserve better children. Well, you have no opportunity to do that now. You know 
What, what have you done? What have you done? You know, your kid would have been better off if you would have behaved this way. What have you done? What have you done? What, well, you know, remember what you did with that person? They didn't deserve it. What have you done? Over and over, Satan and religiosity wants to bring you into slavery. And, and the end result is always run away from the Father. Run away. Because what you did is so bad. Here's what Paul says. At that time, the son, was, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Ishmael would persecute, make fun of Isaac because he was wimpy and, and wasn't, and he would, oh, I'm the firstborn, and they would persecute him. And so it is today. Religious people will persecute those who are walking in the Spirit, experiencing the joy of Jesus, not living righteously because they depend on it in order to get close to God, but living righteously because they're just so grateful. They're just so grateful. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Listen to me. I want us to read this next uh, part of the sentence up to the comma. Okay? Right? One, two, Three, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Stop. I want you to say that again. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. Have nothing to do with them. Have nothing. Do not. Listen. Listen. If you're not in Christ, run away. Do the best you can. If you don't know Jesus... Do the best you can. Act like it doesn't exist. Get on the performance payment plan. Do the best you can. God has a better idea. Get rid of the woman. Run to Jesus. In the power of Jesus. Trusting that his death and his shame on the cross covers yours. Get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. It's true. Religion will never share in the joy and the freedom and the inheritance of being in Christ, just enjoying Him. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. I'll close. It's late, but. I was a little boy. I was a little boy. <clears throat> and my family decided to go to the beach. And we went to the beach. And uh, I don't know about in your house, in my house. I don't know if this was a Puerto Rican thing or just my family. But we would wake up at something like 3 o'clock in the morning to go to the beach. It would just be so, so insane to me. Like it would still be dark out and all that other stuff. My mother would start cooking something like at 10 o'clock at night. Because I know the American thing is that you bring sandwiches, Right? Not so in a Puerto Rican household. It's like they didn't realize that, right? And so, so what she did, she made potato salad, arroz con gandules, fried chicken. It's like, and like you go, well, now what are we going to eat this? Because nobody had Tupperware. They just had the big bowls. And then, and then you, remember, what did you put over them? The aluminum foil, right? Because the aluminum foil is good for everything, right? And so, and so you put the aluminum foil over it and you put it in a bag, right? Now, my mother had stayed up till... Honestly, I went to sleep and she was awake and I woke up and she was awake. She had cooked all night. She was cooking potato salad, arroz con gandules, fried chicken. She was doing all this stuff. We were going to the beach. And when we went to the beach, we would do things like seven lakes. My father never took us to Coney Island or anything like that. I didn't actually go to that until I was a little bit older. But he would take us to like things like the seven lakes and things like that. Really, really far away because, you know, he's from the campo. He's from the, um, say that in English, country, right. He's from the country and he's like a farm kid liked fishing and stuff, so he went, you know, we would go to the beach, he would go fishing, kill two birds, one stone, so we'd do things like the Seven Lakes. And so, um, I wanted to help out, because as little kids, you just want to, don't you? You just love serving, you love helping, you love it. Something happens to us as, you know, but actually, you know what's funny? It's still there. You just have to practice it. When you start serving now, that same joy comes over you. You just, you're still more self-centered and less Christ-centered. And so, all right, that's another sermon. But, so, um, so... So what I did was I went to my mom and I said, hey, I, I want to help, I want to help, I want to help. No, 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 Edwin, no, 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 no. No, Edwin, no, no, no. I want to help, I want to help, I want to help. Okay. Here, carry these two bags. One had the potato salad, the other one had the arroz con gandules with the, um, 
fried chicken in it, right? And we had, we might have had more food, I don't know. And she had them in those, you know, remember those beautiful glass, they had flowers on them with the little handles that if you touched them while they were hot, you would burn the skin right off your hands. It was like, you know, it was just the culture I grew up in, right? It was like that. And so that, right, you know, with the aluminum foil for sure. And then, and so she gave me the bags and I, and I, and I took the bags and my father said, give them to me. But I wanted to prove to him that I was strong enough to put it in the trunk of the car. And so I went like this, you know, thinking that it would like spring up and it didn't spring up. It broke right through the bag, and the work that my mother had been doing for four hours, but like the fright, like you couldn't even salvage it. Like, you know, how like, you know, if it was Tupperware, ah, don't worry, those pieces fell out, but you know, these pieces are still in it, you pick it up and you keep it moving. Arroz con gandules, potato salad, fried chicken, all over the, the, the bumper of the car with exhaust being poured on them. And I just... I remember that was my first moment of experiencing shame. I was a really, really young kid. It was the very first moment of experiencing something's wrong with me. And I remember my father had um, a Monte Carlo. Remember Monte Carlos? I had an 84 Monte Carlo. It was a great car. My, but, but remember how the... Um, Remember how the seats were that you could sit like four people in the front seat and you could sit like four people in the, in the, um, in the back seat? It wasn't like, um, like the, whatever you call them, the bucket seats that you have today. They were like, like sofas almost, right? I don't know what you call them. What do they call them? Bench? Yeah, they were, they were like benches, right? So they, they were like, yeah. I like sofas better. They were like sofas because benches are hard. But um, so um, we only had two, it was only three of us, but my father wouldn't put me in the back because my brother, who was five years older than me, was really mad. And my sister was really mad. And here's, you know, here's, Edwin, you dummy. Mommy cooked all night. And my mother was furious. I mean, you know, you could understand. I mean, she cooked all night. And she didn't want to give it to me. I'm the idiot who, you know, who asked for it. But I'm just a little kid and I just wanted help. And I remember, listen, my father brought me closer to himself. It's a precious moment to me. He brought me some closer to himself. And he said, and he looked in the rearview mirror, which was like death. You never wanted Bobby to do that. And he said, that's enough. And everybody, everybody shut up. And he brought me closer to himself. He goes, I'm going to buy food when we get there. It's no big deal. That's enough. I want that moment so bad for you. You're here and you're walking with your shame and your guilt and your... And I want so bad for you to know that because Jesus died on the cross for you, He paid for your shame. He paid for your guilt. He gave you this joy! That's in Christ that you could be close so that the Father can draw you closer to himself. And when those accusing words come up to you, he, you hear the Father bellow. That's enough. I want you to hear that. I want you so bad to hear that. I want you to listen. And here's how it happens. It comes by meditating on the gospel. That when, when Satan, listen to me, when Satan starts reminding you of your past, you would remind him of his future. That when, that when the accuser and the accusations come in, you go, but I've been washed. That sin was already paid for on the cross. That shame was already bought on the cross. The shame that should have came over me came over him. And now I am in Christ with the Father. I want that so bad for you. So that you might be able to walk. Watch this. Not so you could walk around going, I don't feel guilty, I don't feel shame. But so you could go, I've got a really big, big God who can take away my deepest hurts and my most profound guilt and my deepest shame. And so when the devil says, oh, it was nothing, just act like it was nothing. No, it was worse than I thought. It cost the son of 
God. All his blood on the cross. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Beyond the performance payment plan. I cannot outperform the incredible work that Jesus has done on the cross. Father, we come before you as people who walk around with shame, not knowing that the gospel has already solved our shame issue. That we are no longer children of the slave woman, but that we, in fact, are children of the free. And because Jesus paid it all, we can hear you say, That's enough. Father, I pray that you would impress this deep upon our hearts. I pray that as we get this deep inside of us, we would start to give like our God is a generous God. We would start to serve like our God is a generous God. Not so we could gain your favor, but because we already have your favor. And may it be for your glory and our joy. For in Jesus' name we pray.